Welcome to Lead for Clarity, where we help you, your team, and your organization focus on what matters to get to your next level. My name is Shondell Sutherland, and I am here with Melanie Montgomery, and we have someone super exciting to be talking to us today about the process of sustainable growth with nonprofits, which I'm super excited about because we have J Factor Kids, and I am always wanting to learn and excited to learn from our guests. Awesome. Thank you, Shondell. And I'm so excited to have Nancy Bacon here with us today. She is a nonprofit educator and just amazing person. She's a good friend and colleague that I've worked with over the last few years. And she's really helped me build different skill sets and have really interesting conversations. And so I'm excited to have her here to share things that she shared with me over the years. So Nancy, do you want to tell us a little bit about yourself? Absolutely. I'm just so delighted to be here. I'm a podcast fan. So this is just so sweet. I work at the intersection of adult learning and nonprofits, and that's a huge umbrella. So I'm a teacher, instructional designer, learning strategist with nonprofits, agencies, and associations. But ultimately, I do pretty much anything that helps leaders, associations, and communities get the information they need for their nonprofits to thrive. Because I believe if if our nonprofits are strong, then our communities are strong. So what it takes to do that is really all over the map. Oh, Nancy, I want to hear, how did you get involved in nonprofits? I love what you already said, that communities are stronger. What got you involved in making those worlds um, come together? It's a great question, because like so many nonprofit people, I got here by accident. There are not that many people who are born and raised to become nonprofit people, right? That is so true. (laughs) Yeah. So I was going to be an investment banker in the 80s. Well, that didn't pan out. But what did pan out was a career in international education. And from international education, I started an educational program at the World Affairs Council. And that really put me in the space of building training programs for teachers, so adult learning, and kids started Model United Nations here in Washington State and things like that. But that's where I then went, was involved for 10 years working with a community in Salvador, Brazil. Amazing, um, inspirational women in the shanty towns of Salvador, Brazil. I was helping them with their organizations. How do you have a board? How do you raise money? And that's when I realized that empowering people to run their organizations is just an incredible space to be in. I can't save the world but I can help the people who are saving the world. I love that. Yes, it is. And Nancy, you and I first met when I was falling into my nonprofit work. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, I'm a board member for Native Action Network. And as I started joining that organization, that's when I first met you. My whole career was spent in business and in gaming. And so I was kind of struggling with how do I make this transition? How do I be effective? How do I know what to do and bring the right tools? And you and I had a lot of conversation about the differences between nonprofits and businesses and how they flow a little bit differently. So I was wondering if you could speak into that, because I feel like it's a really good model for everyone to understand and know. Mm -hmm. I think what's really important to know about nonprofits is that they're really communities. They're communities who come together to make a difference about something. The origin story of every nonprofit is a group of awesome people who want to make a difference on whatever their cause is. And they come together and often they just start doing stuff. So whatever it is, saving the animals, protecting the environment, getting involved in legislation, whatever their issue is, they get busy 
And then they start to say, okay, we have to figure out how to fund this. We have to figure out how to lead this thing. And so you enter nonprofits most often through the back door. It really is about the purpose. And then after you set your purpose, you have to come back around and build an organization under it. And that's what makes it different. Most business, I've never started a business, but I, well, I have, I suppose my own consulting (laughs) business. And usually you're not doing a whole lot of free work and then figuring out how to fund it. And that's for me. That's exactly what happened to me. Uh (laughs) That's actually exactly what happened to me too. (laughs) Well, we need you, Nancy. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, we do. I love that, Nancy. Pruning is maybe even more important in nonprofits because when we start out without a lot, we start with what we have, what we can do. And then as we grow and get bigger, we really have to say, is this serving us well? And Mm -hmm. even though it worked when we were two people in our garage, is it what is going to work now that we have 50 staff and we're really moving these projects forward? So you and I talked a lot about how do nonprofits specifically work through that pruning process to make sure that they are moving forward and growing in a healthy, sustainable way? It's such a great question because we are so often additive in what we do. Like we keep seeing needs. And so we add a program. We see another need and we add a program. I remember learning about subtractive solutions. And so now I've become so enamored with this idea that so often the solutions that exist out there are subtractive, meaning that they come about because we take stuff away. And I feel like that is so appropriate for nonprofit organizations who are so in the process of kind of collecting programs that there comes a time when a colleague of mine and I call it to Marie Kondo, your organization, where you actually intentionally like, let's take everything out of the closet and decide what brings us joy and put it back in our closet. From a nonprofit point of view, that's really pretending like you're not doing any programs and then determining which programs to bring back into your portfolio. Of course, it is really hard with nonprofits. Nonprofits, as you've discovered, we enter them through the back door and they've got their own culture, their own ethos, right? It's different from your average business. Yeah, maybe you can speak a little bit more about what's unique to nonprofit organizations, especially as it relates to needing to go through this prune stage. I think the most important thing to know right out of the gate is that it has distributed leadership. Nonprofits are technically owned by the community. That's why they have IRS status, that the government has determined that this is a community benefit. Through that, we have distributed leadership, that no one person is in charge. We have, I don't know, three to 20 board members or whatever the number is, and they share leadership. So that means that whatever it is that you want to do, everyone has to coalesce around that idea. That's why nonprofits can be a little slower in taking action on things. I think the other piece is that by nature, nonprofits are emotionally driven creatures. So nonprofits are so often created because of an emotional connection to something. I lead a lot of nonprofit trainings and I'm always struck by how much emotion is in the room literally where a grandma comes because her son died of a drug overdose. And so she started a nonprofit. So no grandma would ever have to suffer like that again. You know, there's so many stories of, even if you think of Native Action Network, women who come together in order to gain power and strength and honor and dignity. It's so important and so tied to our emotions. 
So whenever you have something that's deeply tied into your emotions, it can be harder to let go, harder to have conversations with people. That's another unique part of nonprofits. Nancy, it's interesting you talk about the emotions because there's so often we're trying to get that feeling of purpose and mission into companies so that they can thrive. And I agree with you. I see that in nonprofits. They're all about that and they're trying to survive because they have to use the ROI to survive with that return on investment. So I just find it interesting that you're helping them find what brings them joy. And that is so much of that pruning phase. You're good at this. Yes. And maybe even the best at it. And it doesn't serve your mission anymore. It doesn't serve your purpose anymore. And those are the hardest things to get rid of. I think both in business and in nonprofits, but you bring up a really incredible point because we're attached to them. I can't tell you how many times I've talked with nonprofit people about lifting up their kind of their heads and their shoulders and their viewpoint to what their purpose is, that ultimately we are in this work not to run our organizations. Our organizations exist for a higher purpose. And so at the point where we have emotional connections to specific programs or we can't figure out the return on investment on something, I find it really helps to return people back to the higher mission and purpose. Because ultimately, if our purpose is to do this big, wonderful thing, our programs are in service to that. So if our purpose isn't going to be fully achieved because of a, of a program, then our love for the purpose should, should win the day. Mm-hmm. That is powerful. And that's exactly what we're talking about that we want to just procreate in business realm is that those values, that purpose always has to be at the center. That's a good point. I think we talk a lot about how nonprofits need to act more like businesses. And I think that's a great example on how businesses might have a lot to learn from nonprofits. And I think when we get emotionally tied to an idea or program that maybe isn't the right fit, That's a really good example of how we might get into that cycle of misery where the victor is really at the center and the victor being us wanting this project to really work and to be there and really sticking to that, even though it doesn't uphold those values in that prune stage. If we're not pruning, we're just doing stuff. We're just continuing. We're on that hamster wheel and we're not really growing in that right direction. And so I think that when we let our emotions get the best of us in any capacity, we end up in that victor stage. It's hard to step back and see because we care so much about the organization and the program. It's hard to see that it doesn't quite fit that values, which really should be at the center. I'm wondering if you can share how do we get back into the healthy cycle from that emotional standpoint of I'm really attached to this idea or this project. And I'll also say that in business, you can get emotionally attached too. I know there are times in my career where I was so adamant that we had to do something this way. And then we changed and looking back, I was like, okay, that was an emotional attachment to that project or whatever. But how do we course correct here? How do we get back on to the right cycle? I think we start by really honoring the emotions. You know, you've, I'm sure, heard of the elephant and the rider and this notion that so often our brains want to do one thing and our hearts want to do something else. And we only pay attention to our brain, our, our rational side, and yet we're riding off in a different direction. 
I feel that the first step in this is to really honor the emotions and harness them as much as we can. Talking about them, making them extrinsic, putting them out there on the table to talk about the emotions and, and normalizing that as a cultural value within our organizations. So moving away from, oh, don't get so emotional. Emotions are the most powerful things we have as humans. Emotions are what cause the civil rights movement. Emotions are what cause us to start nonprofits and make the world a better place. I'm not sure why emotions got a bad rap in all this, but I think we should proactively work to change that. Then let's figure out how to, again, go to that higher purpose. How do we engage others in that conversation? How do we use what we know? Uh, of course, I have to go back to instructional design and adult learning and behavior change. Like we know a ton about why humans do what they do and how do we use what we know in order to move in the right direction. So those are some thoughts that I have. That is so good. Right on. No wonder you want to hang out on our podcast. We love this. <laughs> we are. This is what we're talking about. And you're right. When people get into the cycle of misery, they're emotionally attached to not the purpose, but to other things that don't matter. I love the take the only things that bring you joy. Like I'm so into that. I'm super excited to even try that right away with our nonprofit and our next board meeting, even in the cycle of misery. If you're not pruning and you're not in the healthy cycle, you're doubling down and you double down on the things that you've always done. And like those legacy things. We're not saying you leave your values and what your purpose is. We want to we want to get more involved in that. But do you see that in organizations that there's a lot of doubling down instead of pruning? Definitely, definitely. And I think, you know, we read all the time about burnout and the exhaustion of the folks in the nonprofit sector. And it's real. It's so real. And a lot of it comes from we're not bringing in enough money. We're not serving enough people. I mean, I work with the Food Bank Association here in Washington State, and some of the food banks in our state have seen an increase in the thousands of percentages over the last two years. So you have a massive increase in demand. You have slightly increased money because of COVID funds coming into the system. So what do you do? I mean, you really have to just put your shoulder to the grindstone and just keep working and working harder. Maybe in the short term, we can do that. But over the long term, that's a recipe for burnout. Part of the ROI conversation that's so interesting in nonprofits, too, is that it is really hard to figure out the return on investment within nonprofits. Nonprofits do what government can't because it's too big and businesses won't because there's no profit in it. Nonprofits take on the hardest issues. And so if we talk about early childhood education or homelessness or poverty or food deserts or whatever it is we want to talk about, determining exactly the ROI is really hard. And yet there are some tools. So, so we don't want to just throw out the baby with the bathwater, right? Like we can't do it. So we're not even going to try. I think we can still try. We just need to figure out metrics that work for us. But if I could, like one of the things that I find really interesting is we can think about ourselves, but so often we're working with other people. So we're thinking about, you know, I used to joke, I love action, other people doing it. People complain, for example, about board members. They're not doing enough. They're not going to trainings. And, and then I throw it right back and say, well, what are we doing to set them up for success? We, as the people who are the, the capacity builders. So on that individual to individual level, there's this really interesting research study that talked about how experts leave out 70% of the information that novices need. 
So if I'm an expert at something and I want you to do something, Shondell, I might be blathering on about it, but I'm actually leaving out 70% of the information you need. I mean, doesn't isn't that mind blowing? So I'm not talking less. I'm just saying the wrong things. And if it's me, you, I'm, I'm leaving it about 85% out. This is like a big problem for me that you're talking about. I don't know if this is a concept for you, but personal pruning in the sense that maybe I need to prune myself and my own approaches as I work with others to help them take action. So if I tell you everything, you'll remember nothing. How do I pull back and really just share the one piece of information or the one tool that you need to take action. We have to prune our organizations, but then pruning ourselves individually as leaders working with others. You know who's really good at this? Melanie. (laughs) Very, very good at this. I love her for this. She is our trainer because she can go in there and, you know, I'm like, I don't know, here's an SOP. And she has so much patience to follow and help people. I just love it. (laughs) <laughs> to give them all the information that they need. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Awesome, Nancy. I really love that. And I have another question for you. You just are such a wealth of knowledge and I'm excited that you're sharing with our listeners. I'm curious to know what kind of success you've seen either individually with yourself or organizations or leaders as they navigate the pruning process in a really strategic and healthy way. I think it really starts first and foremost, with values and mission and really understanding that. From there, I really love the work of Janeway Skillern and Marty Koistra and many others on network leadership. I'm going to paraphrase their really important research, and it really has to do with how do we collaborate so we do less, that if we look at the whole ecosystem. So for example, look at food banks and hunger relief. If we think about everything it's going to take to ensure that every family, every child, every adult eats tonight, that's a whole ecosystem of programs, a whole ecosystem of nonprofits. And so one way that nonprofits prune really well is by being very clear what their missions, values, purpose is, and what their place is within the larger ecosystem. So I'm the emergency food system, but my neighbor over here is providing long-term access to housing or going into the schools and ensuring our children have nutritious lunches. I myself don't have to invent all of those programs in order to to make sure the, the holistic needs are served. I need to build trustful relationships with my colleagues in my neighborhood, in my community, in order to ensure that the whole ecosystem gets what they need to thrive. That's so good, Nancy. You've got me thinking. So I love it. Yes, (laughs) I love it. Well, we need to land this plane. It goes so fast. I wish we had more of your time. Um, But man, if you brought a wealth of information and a really good example of what we're aiming to do and teach people, they're going to go through pruning either way. Like pruning happens, whether you uh, want to be proactive about it is what we're talking about and what you're helping people to do. So what is one thing that you would want people to walk away with? The one little nugget that you would want, and I'm going to do mine first. I usually don't, but I'm going to do mine first. Mm -hmm. I love the joy thing. Going through the programs, what brings us joy? I think that's so good. So good. I would have to say some of them; those things may not be the easiest things that bring you joy. 
Mm-hmm. For sure. I'll go next. And I think that the thing that I love the most was that we need to normalize talking through our emotions and harness them instead of pushing them away and really say honoring those emotions and then being able to was that bless and release. Mm, it's good. I think the piece and this is a new term I haven't said yet in this this podcast episode, but the piece that I always hold on to is that we're going to need to have courage. I will always remember sitting in a room with Afro-Brazilian women in Salvador, Brazil. And at the end of the training, I was very peppy and like, what's your next step? And they looked at each other with very solemn faces and said to each other, we're going to have to have courage. And they were going to have to have courage because there was a police strike. There was no funding. They were Black women in a very kind of racially charged society. And I looked at them and I, I got very emotional myself around we're going to have to have courage in pruning, in leadership. We're going to have to have courage. Oh, man. So Nailed. well said. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yes. All right, everyone. Uh, we invite you to check out our show notes and uh, see how you can find Nancy. We want our listeners to be able to find you. And if they're looking for us, we're at shondogroup.com. We always love your questions. I mean, listeners, you're the reason we do this. We love you. We want to set you up for success. And part of that is pruning things that don't work anymore. And Nancy, you've done a great job helping us. So I appreciate that. As we say goodbye, remember to be the best you can be today. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.